everybody welcome to episode 51 of the bomber brothers podcast part of the pinstripe alley community of podcasts sean and ryan with you in separate locations in quarantine um no live news or baseball news to talk about there probably won't be for a long time we have opening day pushed back until at least the middle of May now. That two-week delay we knew was not going to stick, and it didn't take long to find out that that was already the case. So, Sean, I mean, I feel like that we're going to be talking about either past news or something not related to actual live baseball until probably, like, July. Yeah, I didn't even... I didn't even tweet out our last episode because I just felt like the situation was changing so rapidly. Why promote old what was already old news by the time we finished recording and everything? And this has changed so quickly from Wednesday night with the cancellation of the Jazz game till this past Wednesday night where we're basically stuck in our homes. I went to my mother-in-law's house last night to help fix something that she needed fixed. And I was driving back at 8 o'clock and it was like we were driving back on like Christmas Eve at, at 12 o'clock where everything's closed and everything's dark and there's no cars on the road. And it was, it was really eerie. And that's what, that's the world we live in now. And there's no sports to take us away from it. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to miss it. But blah, 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 man. I realized how much I rely on sports just to distract me from everything. And of course, when you want to be distracted now, it can't be here for obvious and, and reasons, but the KBO is out there. Did you see the pictures of the players playing yes. with the masks on? That was I awesome. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they're all staying safe. I mean, we're still finding out about athletes that are testing positive for the coronavirus. We've had two Yankee minor leaguers. We four players from the Nets, including Kevin Durant. And, you know, while it's honestly, while it's kind of frustrating to see a lot of these players who are even considered asymptomatic just getting all these immediate tests at will and so many other people who around the world who are showing symptoms aren't getting these tests um in nearly as quick a fashion that that's kind of frustrating but i think just the number of athletes that have already tested positive for this shows that this is not going to you know get better as quickly as we had initially hoped, as quickly as MLB and other pro sports initially hoped. So, yeah, this um, this depressing time without sports, which has already been pretty brutal for just a week. I mean, today was supposed to be the first full day of March Madness, which is one of my favorite days of the year, and we do not have that. Obviously, all of it is understandable in no way. I don't think in no way are either of us questioning why, because we know why, and it's the right choice, but it doesn't mean it sucks any less. Yeah, I'm, it's, yeah, it's, we understand why, but it's still at the same time, it stinks, and, you know, you said it, like, today should be such a fun day with Rutgers tipping off in Albany, and, uh, that you know, we don't get that, we don't get any of that, and it stinks, and we don't get... We'd be one week away right now. We would have made it at this point. And now it's, I mean, I don't want to get into like so much speculation, but the, did you see that Imperial study from the infectious diseases, uh, commission that, you know, this could be going on quite a while. And I, I, the more I read about it from scientists and not, uh, financial people or, or, or the government, um, the more I think we're not going to see a baseball game this year unless we were watching the KBO. Um, so I think this is a reality we have to get used to. It stinks, but it's for people's safety. 
and um yeah don't don't be stupid we've seen a lot of stupidity online and uh yeah. you know what even if you're young and healthy and you can beat the hell out of this thing don't put yourself in danger because even if you beat it but have to go to the hospital or a doctor you're taking up somebody's spot who might need it more than more than you otherwise would have if you just played it smart so that's my little psa that's a solid that's a solid psa uh, solid oak <laughs> so um I guess before we get into the uh, meat of this episode, which is going to be what we're doing for the next foreseeable future, hopefully not too, too long, but like you said, it's looking more and more like this is going to potentially impact the rest of this, this season. But um, before we get into that, just uh, curious what you've been doing to kind of fill the sports void while there isn't any sports to watch. I mean, you, you hear you hear quarantine, which is kind of what we've been doing. We both work from home now, and so in those times when you're kind of locked in the house, we always did turn to sports. That was what passed the time, and now we don't have our number one hobby in a time when we're stuck at home all the time. So what have uh, what have you been doing to uh, kind of pass that time while in quarantine? I mean, it hasn't been too bad lately. I, I really miss sports, but I've been keeping busy. I, I get the show delivered today, as I was telling you before we start recording, so we could play each other in that um, online. But I've been playing a lot of NHL 20, and I won the I won the 2020 Stanley Cup. I'm now in the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. For those who are interested, <laughs> um, and I'm. But you know, like we had the debate one night. We had Better Call Saul another night. My wife and I rewatched Pirates of the Caribbean another night, just because we had went to Disney two weeks ago and went on the ride. And we're like, oh, we should rewatch those movies. And I forgot how good the first one was. It was a really interesting, like really fun movie. Um, last night I did a little work on my mother-in-law's house. I'm keeping busy that way. Little things. I think those little things are going to run out real quick. Um, so. Yeah, that's I mean, I bought a new book, which I'm a slow reader, so it'll probably take me till the next virus to to finish it. But, yeah, that's what I'm doing. What about you? Um, You mentioned NHL. I'm actually I got the early digital download of the show. So I've been um, playing that, created my team, decked out our our uniforms and team name to be our to be our old high school team. you abandoned the ducks real fast. Well, I did that last time. I wanted to change it up this time, and uh, got some notable Yankees on there. Judge is my right fielder. I've got Chad Green as my closer right now. I'm still really early on, so I, I'm still building up my team. But I have Lemayhu at second. I have Mickey Mantle in the outfield. Oh um, yeah, it sounds like you're really in the middle of a rebuild with Mickey Mantle and Aaron Judge. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's 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 rookie card Mickey Mantle, so his stats oh. are his. Well, I mean, he still had a monster rookie season. I've never I've never played like Diamond Dynasty or any of that. Online. Oh yeah, it's my favorite. So yeah, I'm I'm always like a franchise mode kind of thing. So I'll have to get some tips from you on what to do when we stop recording. Yeah, basically just complete the, um, the tasks that it has because then you get um, prizes at the end, which are like packs that you open and then hopefully get some some good cards how many consecutive world series games do you need to win to unlock tino martinez like 50 is that what his, <laughs> he's worth i think i think it was like um i think it was like 11 you have to match the yankees world series winning streak from uh, uh i believe 96. that was six i believe it was 12 12 that's right yeah jesus and we're about to record an episode on the 96 team come on Yes, we are. That's that's what we're going to be doing for the foreseeable future to pass the time. We are going to pick a season, and then we're going to break it down and remember it, remember the best moments, some of the moments that kind of get pushed under the rug because a lot of these seasons we're going to be talking about have so many unforgettable moments. And, um, and yeah, I mean, we figured what better place to start than 1996 because that is the season that made – us fans and that is the season that sparked the most memorable baseball dynasty in in recent memory so i figured that was a pretty good place for us to get started so um where do you want to start and in the in the leading into the 96 season because it was a, a pretty pivotal time for the franchise after losing to the mariners and hiring joe torrey 
Sure. Like, like you said, um, this really is the season that ignites the fandom. Like, you know, you probably, you were younger than me, but we were both the same in that, you know, dad got us Yankee shirts, mom got us Yankee shirts and, and hats. And we always wore them and we said we were Yankee fans, but 96 was the year that we started. I mean, in the postseason, we started watching them and then that carried us through today where we know as much as a, a you know, a, a normal person could know about a team. And that's, you know, pretty much what ignited our fandom. So, you know, 95 ends. I remember very little of 95, except that, you know, dad really wanted them to win for Mattingly and all this stuff. And you know, they have they're up to oh, they blow the, the, the lead in Seattle. Awful game five. Mattingly says goodbye to everybody. They fire Showalter. And then they go and they get Joe Torrey, who, you know, the back pages say clueless Joe. They get Tino to replace Mattingly. They go out. They re-sign Cone. They get Joe Girardi, who can't hit compared to Mike Stanley. And uh, there's this, you know, rookie shortstop who comes in and only gets a job because Tony Fernandez breaks his what? His wrist? Yeah, I broke his arm. I broke his arm, and then, uh, and then, and then you get you know the emergence of Bernie Williams, and they're hoping that that works out. You got a couple free agents and Kenny Rogers. You got Jimmy Key coming back. This guy Andy Pettit, who pitched okay in '95. This wild card in the bullpen, Mariano Rivera, and there's a lot of question marks in spring training, and away we go. Away we go. You mentioned. Well, we could talk about about your boy Tino. He was uh, brought in for what Russ Davis and and Sterling Hitchcock. Yeah, and I think I think somebody else was in that trade too. But yeah, Sterling Hitchcock beat a couple twenty game winners in the ninety eight postseason. Yeah, <laughs> but couldn't beat David Cohn. Not a lot of people could beat beat David Cohn in the. Uh, in the postseasons, but I, so just just looking at the the trade in in hindsight, um, Tino from '96 to the end of his career in 2005 accumulated 21.3 WAR. Sterling Hitchcock from 1996 till when he retired in 2004, so about about the same time frame, 6.5 WAR, and then Russ Davis had a much shorter um, career span when he, after his 96 season, he retired after the 2001 season, he accumulated negative 0.3 war. So, so Tino wound up being pretty much over three times as valuable as those two players combined. So good deal. And, and Yeah. And don't forget the Yankees got another key piece in that deal. Jeff Nelson. Oh yeah comes across in that trade and i mean forget it he was awesome not so much in 96 but 97 98 i mean what he you know not 2000 2001 he was such a key or just 2000 he was on the mariners in a one he was such a key piece of the bridge to to mo in you know those those years after wetland left and and huge and um yeah i mean Obviously, getting Tino, like Mattingly, was great. He had the great September in 95, but Tino puts up, you know, 100, 108 OPS plus. He hits 25 homers, 117 RBIs, and he's just a guy you could plug in the middle of your lineup. Disappears a little bit in October in 96. That's okay. But um, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. A key piece. But, I mean, as much as I love Tino, I think. I think the key catalyst on offense that year is, you know, the guy who's the most underrated Yankee for how great he is. And and that's Bernie Williams. I mean, Bernie Williams in 96 puts up 131 OPS plus his triple slash is 305, 391, 535. It's 29 homers. He plays center field. And I was watching the pinstripe uh, destiny video, the 96 like season video. Mm hmm. They played made some spectacular plays out in center field. Him and Jeter both. I forgot how athletic they both were when they were young. Just because I have more memories, I guess, of like, you know, from when I was like 13 and 2000 onward. I have more like vivid memories of watching them. But, man, those guys played so athletically and so fun. Um, 
it was really exciting to watch 27 year old Bernie Williams play center field in 96. Yeah, no, I mean, Hey, you mentioned those two guys. Those are two of my earliest memories. Again, I was still really young. I, for 96, I only remember from pretty much the ALCS onward, but that was when Bernie was really tearing it up. He was uh, a machine in, in the ALCS carried that over to the world series and, and the division series too. He he destroyed Texas single handedly, basically when they got to Texas. But, well, we'll we'll get to that, yeah. but I feel like we should include Cecil Fielder in that because he had some big moments too. True. Um, so another transaction leading into the '96 season, and he often gets kind of overlooked because he did struggle pretty poorly in, in the World Series. Um, but Mariano Duncan was signed as a free agent, puts up a 112 OPS plus. Um, Batted, batted 340 in in 109 games, so he wound up being a pretty valuable piece as well, uh, bringing him on. Is yeah. this the most – sorry, I thought you were done. No, go ahead. Is this the most Starlin Castro thing ever? He batted 340, <laughs> but his OBP was 350. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd say I'd say that that's uh, – yeah, nine, nine walks. Nine walks and 417 plate appearances. Yeah, not, <laughs> not good. No. But hey, still still above average. So, I, and you know, you, you go with you go with their 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 main core. You have Joe Girardi at catcher, who you know comes in as this guy who can't you know he's not doesn't have big power numbers, but he still bats two ninety four with a three forty six on base. I mean. You know, he steals 13 bases for a catcher, which I know steals are overrated, but nobody knew that at the time. So it was still, you know what I mean? Like everybody was playing on the same field. Then you have Tino at first base, Duncan at second, who we already talked about, Jeter, who we're going to have to do a big segment about it short, Boggs at third. Wade Boggs for a 38 year old, he had a 389 on base percentage and hit 311 that year. And has one of the most important at bats in Yankee history, which, which gets lost because it's a walk, but that. That bat was huge. No, absolutely. Talking about, you, of course, about game four of yeah. the 96 World Series. You have Bernie. You have O'Neill in right field who had 123 OPS plus. O'Neill had a 411 on base percentage that year. You had Jim Lairitz coming off the bench for some, with some power. Tim Raines filling in in left field who, you know, 114 OPS plus. Daryl Strawberry comes from Minnesota with a hundred one twelve OPS plus in, in, uh, some time at DH in left field, they make the trade for Cecil Fielder. So the thing about this team was there was no, there was no Aaron judge. Like in like, a, there was no like Aaron judge where you're just like, okay, this guy is head and shoulders above the rest of the lineup right now. Like you had in like, let's say 2017, 2018, maybe. But this team was so well balanced. They had so many heroes. And like when I was watching the '96 tape or the 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 tape, geez, the the <laughs> video on YouTube, I was just like, this team was so well rounded. It's hard to focus on one guy, and um, and they were just such a well rounded machine. But um, yeah, I, that's what I really liked about this team and the the, the teams throughout the the run was that it was very much like a pass the baton lineup, and you'd have different heroes every night. And that was one thing about the 2019 Yankees too that seemed to shine through. Yeah, no, definitely, I I agree, and I, I think um, I mean you think about the 2019 Yankees, they won 103 games. It's pretty it's pretty incredible to look back and realize that you know the Yan- 96 Yankees they won 92 games. They were they were a good team, but wasn't certainly wasn't like a you know machine like the Braves appeared to be at that time. The Yankees were like you said, just a really good balanced team. They won the division by by four games and but still 92 wins it wasn't like they were um bursting on onto the scene as this unstoppable dynasty that they were going to become well i i think baseball is a little different back then and more teams were trying to win so you had more yeah you had tougher assignments in every series you would go into throughout the year now I think you could in the American League you can pencil in all three division winners to win a hundred games every year because they're just going to beat up on the teams that are inferior. Back then you you didn't have that. I mean the Red Sox were trying to win. There were you know this was pre expansion, um, so you know things things were different. But you know the Orioles were a really good team back back in those days, and 
Um, you know, it was a tougher division, but the Yankees handled the Orioles well. I don't think they, I don't think they lost all year in Camden Yards. They, you know, they just kept beating them back. And, you know, the Yankees had a huge lead. It's weird. They go get uh, Cecil Fielder, who in only 53 games hits 13 homers for them and has a 342 on base. But they start to lose after they get Fielder. And then they get Cone back in September, and then they, they hold off and, and um, Baltimore, and, and they, they go through it. And a lot of that is is due to the bullpen because this was not an offensive juggernaut they had a well-balanced lineup like we were talking about and a lot of comebacks happened that year i think they led the league and and come from behind wins and a lot of that's because they had this this formula of you know you had graham lloyd and and jeff nelson and brian bowringer and all these other guys and then you had mariano pitching the seventh and the eighth back then and wetland in the ninth like the team lost one game when it trailed after the eighth inning and this was like the start of the yankees having an elite bullpen and and we saw this this carries through and then when the bullpen kind of just becomes Rivera in the mid 2000s we see them not have the same success and now here we are later in um late late in the 2010s and now we're in 2020 and they have an elite bullpen again and they're a perennial championship contender so this kind of starts the whole Yankees have a great bullpen movement you know yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned, um, you know, getting Cecil at the trade deadline. And the Yankees were really busy at, at the trade deadline and adding pieces that would be crucial to their World Series run. But like you said, they kind of struggled after the trade deadline. And it looked like maybe maybe those um, those pieces weren't going to make an impact. They lost 17 games in the month of August, including two walk-off losses. They had a five-game losing streak at the, at the end of the month. So, it's it's not like that they added all these new pieces and then showed right away that they were going to be um you know a world series winner they turned it around in september and and finished the month strong and and this regular season strong but it's certainly uh their their performance at right after the trade deadline certainly didn't suggest that they were um you know that, that those pieces that they brought on were going to make an immediate impact but you look at all those midseason acquisitions and just think about how valuable they turned out being. I mean, they they uh, got Daryl uh, Strawberry, obviously Cecil Fielder out of Minnesota, out of, out of St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, <laughs> go figure. Um, Cecil Fielder traded traded Ruben Sierra. Um, they brought in David Weathers. They got Louis Soho off waivers. They got Graham Lloyd. I mean, all of these were, um, trade deadline, uh, uh, Charlie Hayes as well. So these are, those are all players that we remember so well from the world series team that, that were brought on after, uh, during or after the month of July. Yeah. It's very much, uh, very similar to the 94 Rangers in that they have this, you know, they add all of these veteran presence type guys and, um, doesn't pay dividends right away but when you get to the finals in the postseason that's when it starts to shine through and you know i feel like we don't see that that much anymore and and this was a a special team that that was able to do that but um yeah it was was quite the run and you know one of the things about this team they have the great bullpen they have the balanced lineup that doesn't hit a lot of homers but scores in a lot of different ways they have a lot of on-base line drive type guys i think paul o'neill is probably like the prototypical example of of like a, a hitter in their lineup in, in this case like he has the right approach but then you get this 24 year old and, and you know david Cohn only only makes um only makes 11 starts and aside from that, you have Kenny Rogers, who puts up a 4.7 ERA or 4.68. Dwight Gooden has the no hitter, which is incredible. Five five ERA. Not very good. Aside from that, Jimmy Key goes 12 and 11 with a 4.68. So you have two guys with 4.68 ERAs, and Rogers and Key. Ramiro Mendoza makes a couple starts. David Cohn is only limited to 11, and then you have 24 year old Andy Pettit in his second season, who goes 21 and 8 with a 3.87, which at that time was very good. Um, 162 strikeouts. He um, pitches 220 innings. Just a phenomenal bursting onto the scene by Pettit. Led the team in war, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you are not mistaken. I think you're 
your, your war leaders are, are Pettit, Bo, and, and Bernie. Um, and, and really stabilizes the rotation. Yeah, no, he was huge, especially, like you said, with, with Cone being out for most of that regular season. And then those games that Cone did pitch, he was completely dominant. I mean, we mm-hmm. everyone, everyone knows uh, how he carried a no-hitter in his first game back, but Joe Torre made the decision to pull him and wound up being a good decision because he was badly needed. Once we talk about Game 3 of the World Series, we can talk about just how huge he was, and, and who knows if that happens if, if Cohn tried to stretch himself and, and get that no-hitter. That's that's true. And then, of course, the, the guy we've been circling is the, the, the kid that comes up to play shortstop at 22 years old, Derek Jeter. Go ahead, take it away. It's your boy. <laughs> yeah, no, he he is. Uh, that's that's uh, my hero, which sparked in. Uh, I guess my earliest memory was uh, both our favorite players. I feel like my first clear memory of watching a Yankee game, and, t- and I mean clear by like I remember like most of the game and watching it, not just like fragments like the rest of the '96 playoffs, but the clear one is when they clinched the ALCS and just remember vividly remember um Jeter fielding the last out throwing it over to Tino and Tino had the really nice pick uh to clinch to clinch and um and and yeah I mean Jeter was kind of started becoming my favorite player from there but he he really you know he won rookie of the year and just coming on the way he did and then dealing with the pressure of New York and all that was really impressive, but it's not like he was overwhelmingly productive in 96, a 101 OPS plus. But. Well, I, I actually, when I was watching, I don't mean to cut in, but when I was watching the, the video yesterday, he hit, I believe, 277 in the first half and then hit 350 in the second half. So, yes, I mean, he, um, <laughs> he, certainly, he certainly came on, and then obviously he was also incredibly valuable in um in the postseason i mean he batted over 400 with uh with an ops of 882 in the alds one 1042 in the alcs struggled struggled a little bit in the world series going up against you know three of the best pitchers in the league in that world series but also uh, a few times started rallies also had a big hit in game six of the world series so I don't think the Yankees get to where they are without without Jeter, and it's pretty it's pretty crazy to look back and realize, you know, if if um if just a couple things went differently, if like Tony Fernandez doesn't get hurt, like maybe this uh, all turns out different. That's yeah. I mean, I can't add anything else onto that. Like I said, it was it was shocking to me. I didn't realize that he had such a strong second half, and. Um, you know, I mean, we all know he stepped in and handled the job well, and and really did did a great job. But um, guiding the whole team and and having confidence in Jeter was was Tory. And I think we talked about it early how they stumble in August, and I, I think the greatest attribute that Tory has ever had was just his ability to keep his team calm. We saw this in two thousand when they stumbled. We saw this in 98 when they stumbled, is to keep them calm and focused. And they come back with a strong September after, after you know, a lot of, we've seen a lot of teams go on the ropes and not bounce back. Look at the Tigers in, what, 2009 when they just totally imploded. And um, the Red Sox in 2011, I think it was, when they just totally collapsed. And, you know, we see so many teams that can't get off the mat, and this team did it time and time again, and that's because they had a manager who didn't panic. He knew how to handle the media, and more importantly, most importantly, he knew how to handle George Steinbrenner. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think, um, like you mentioned, a team that always gets um, gets back up off the mat. I feel like this is a good transition into the early stages of, of the postseason because I think it gets overlooked how close the ALDS was with Texas because they, they lose game one. They're trailing in the eighth inning in game two and are in danger of losing the first two games at home and then having to go down to Texas needing to win three straight games to even survive the first round. So imagine the heat that would have been on, on Torrey if, if that's what happened after winning the division and getting the team back to the playoffs. You think, you think Steinbrenner would have kept him around after – 
um, well, his first first round exit, but the team's second straight first round exit from the from the postseason. I don't think he would. I don't think uh, I don't think he would have stuck around. But the Yankees come back in Game Two. They want they win in twelve innings. Then they uh, win two more close games, and and then obviously the rest is history. But I, I do think it gets overlooked just how close that series was. I mean, through the first thirteen innings of that series Juan Gonzalez had hit three home runs he had and in game two he hit two against Andy Pettit and just things weren't looking good and then I mentioned this before but then Cecil Fielder came up huge he had a home run in game two then he had the game tying single in the eighth inning of game two I believe and then they Mm -hmm. went and then they went on the throwing error it was a I think it was a bunt by Charlie Hayes that was thrown away yeah so yeah, they were they were they were down. They were down what four, four three in the eighth inning. Cecil tied it with an opposite field single after he had crushed a mammoth home run earlier in the game to pull within four two, and then the Yankees win in the twelfth inning. And and another huge part of that win was was Mo. He threw two and two third hitless innings to uh, to keep uh, keep the Yankees alive in that game. Or that might yeah. be game three. They were losing four to one going into the seventh bottom of the seventh inning in that game and going down two nothing. And then they were lose they were losing by one in the ninth inning in game three. And then they were losing four to nothing in game four. And they win all of these games. And that's because of the bullpen. Mo pitched two two and two thirds. Um, yeah, game. two and two thirds hitless innings. Yeah. Okay. Wet, I thought wet, it might have been game three, but it was game two. Wetland threw two innings. And, um, yeah, I'm just an incredible job. And that, that game too is the first Yankee game I watched beginning to end. Dad let me stay up late for it. And I've told this story a couple of times. I remember, I remember Cecil just had a big game and I just thought Cecil Fielder was like the greatest player ever after this. (laughs) And I remember the bunt and I actually like, it was a school night. It was a four hour, four and a half hour game. And I, I was, it's that started at eight o'clock and I was going to the sink and splashing water in my face at, at eight years old. So I could stay awake. Nice. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And then they, they go to Texas and they get the job done. Those Texas games, like, I think both of them were day games too. Yep. Um, Bernie, I think Bernie hit homers from both sides of the plate in one of those games. I can't remember, but. Well, game, well, game three was the game that they took the lead in the ninth inning that was when i think i think uh i think mariano duncan had the the go-ahead single in that yeah game. but yeah yeah so yeah that was another really close game and obviously the series was tied at that point so that was that was such a pivotal game and they have that um, bernie made that catch to rob the homer that series mm-hmm in game three, they had that rally in the ninth inning. As usual, Jeter Jeter started it with with a single, and it ended with Mariano Duncan lining a single up up the middle. Mm-hmm. And uh, they win that game. They go ahead in the series, and then obviously they go on to finish it off in game four. But still, yeah, still, hits. still a close game. Yeah, Bernie, well, yeah, they were losing four nothing. They wound up winning six four. Bernie hit two homers in game four, one in game three. He robs a home run while they're in Texas. By the way, the home run he hit, uh, the first one in game four was off Mike Stanton. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was just an incredible, incredible series and just comeback after comeback. And, um, yeah, then, then they move on to, to the ALCS against the Orioles. And Bernie just keeps on wrecking. He hits a walk-off homer in game one. But before we get there, some craziness happens. What did you say? I said Bernie hits the walk-off homer in game one of the ALCS, oh, oh, just yeah, keeping yeah. <laughs> with what he's doing. But before that, there's some craziness that happens. And it involves one of the great Yankee uh, adversaries and enemies of all time with Armando Benitez on the mound yep. and Jeter at the plate. You could you could tell the story. You, you, you were watching. I don't even think we need to. This is one of the most memorable moments of this season, kind of like the epitome of Oh, you know, team of destiny, like everything's going their way. Because you watch the replay, it was so blatantly not not a home run. Um, obviously, if this game was played, you know, thirteen years later, and we have replay in the po- in the postseason, this doesn't happen. I mean, I'm sure I could, you know, I'm, I'm 
pretty confident that the Yankees would have still won this series. I mean, they they clearly were the were the better team, and like you said, they they handled the Orioles in the regular season, especially on the road. But still, I mean, it was still a it was still a great moment. Uh, never gets old watching that clip of Tony Tarasco absolutely losing his shit. And what and what a call by uh, by Bob Costas. Oh yeah, I mean, that was that was something um, that was something really cool to have this year too. Having Costas call game one of the ALDS because it was on MLB Network. <laughs> it was kind of cool, like having that back. It kind of felt like, um, yeah, it kind of felt like old times having Bob Costas call. I know he does, you know, on the MLB Network Friday night showcases sometimes, but having him call a playoff game was was yeah. pretty cool. For sure, yeah. He's he had some really good calls in in the postseason in '96, '99 um, World Series as well. Great job, and I like Joe Buck a lot for baseball. But yeah, he's gotten so much better. So they win Game One, they lose Game Two, then they go to Baltimore. One play I remember very vividly. I don't know if you remember this. Is the play where I guess it's Todd Zeal's playing third base for the. Orioles at that time correct me I is this when the ball rolls away and yeah so he like he who's ever playing third for the Orioles I think it's zeal fakes pump fakes a throw to second to try to get Tino who hit a double in the corner and Tino's slow and the ball slips out of his hand but only like 10 feet away and Bernie just takes off from third and runs and scores I remember that so well and it's just like such heads up great instincts and it's so funny because Bernie has this reputation of being so aloof but his baseball instincts were always incredible yeah strawberry has a couple big homers in that series cecil fielder continues to wreck and they go into baltimore where they hadn't lost all year and take three straight from them and we're going to the world series yeah well you mentioned strawberry and and cecil i believe they went back to back on on clinching day in game five so that was um so that was obviously big and again those are two mid-season trade acquisitions that came up huge for the Yankees in the playoffs. We've already mentioned a number of times Cecil Fielder came up big, then him and Strawberry go back to back. Um Graham, you know, Graham Lloyd, he didn't allow a run through the postseason in what was uh just over six innings of work. Um he was a midseason acquisition. David Weathers midseason acquisition, he only allowed one earned run in third in 11 innings of work. So all these guys, all these midseason acquisitions, they, they came up big and proved to be, uh, you know, huge parts of this world series team and guys that weren't on the team until, you know, later on in the season. Yeah. The, like we were saying before, it's the trade deadline acquisitions that came up big in the postseason. You don't see that very often, but this team, it was just all over. And, uh, they did. They did a great job getting to the World Series and continuing into the World Series. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I don't feel like we need to get too in depth on a World we've, Series. We've talked about this before. <laughs> yeah. And everyone knows the story of the World Series. These series recaps that we're going to be doing are kind of like talking about some of those more overlooked moments. But just what are your favorite moments? from from the world series or your most or what you think was maybe the most underrated moment of the world series i think the thing that i every time i hear the story no matter how many times i hear it i never get sick of hearing how joe tory with steinbrenner in his office tells him we're gonna lose game two but we'll go to Tampa, we'll go to uh, atlanta sweep them and then come back here and win it on saturday and it happens it's that to me is the most incredible show of arrogance <laughs> and <laughs> confidence that, yeah, it's not even like we'll win the next couple. It's no, we're going to lose tonight and then we're going to win four straight, including three where the defending champions play, even though they've outscored us. They outscored us, what, 16 to one in the first two games or something like that. Something ridiculous. 13 to one, whatever it was. And it, it's just incredible. And the one thing that I come back to when it gets turned around are are in every major rally except for game five whether it be the yankees getting back in the game in games game four where they have the ball that um gets dropped or no not the ball that gets dropped i'm sorry the the ball the single that jeter has in off his fists after the, the umpire throws like a statue <laughs> the the homer by bernie 
in game three to blow it open. And then the 96 rally, you have Bernie and Jeter in the middle of every major rally. You have guys that hit big home runs with, with Larry's hitting the home run, but and Bernie and Jeter play catalyst on offense and Andy Pettit. I mean, every, every postseason, I feel like you get that heroic performance if you're a championship team and Andy Pettit provides it going mano a mano with John Smoltz, who at the time already has the reputation for being one of the best big game pitchers, probably hated baseball back then too. And, or maybe this game <laughs> that was made probably the day baseball. he started hating yeah. baseball. And Andy, he calls it the greatest game he ever pitched. And by many accounts, it was. Yeah. But Andy Pettit was up to the task, makes the incredible plays uh, when, you know, when it's first and second, nobody out. And uh, I mean, Andy Pettit becomes a legend on that night and he, he never stops being one in, in my eyes. And, and that to me are, are the things that stand out. It's just Bernie and Jeter pacing the offense and Pettit. And Cone with two of the more heroic performances we've seen in Yankee World Series history. <laughs> Every time I hear the story about Tory going into Steinbrenner's office, I'm like, man, what did Jimmy Key think when he heard that story? <laughs> <laughs> he, he was supposed to be starting that game, and your manager before it starts was like, "Yeah, we're going to lose." <laughs> I, th- I think it's. I think it's probably more about. No, I, I know. It's just, funny. It's, it's just funny to think about. Like Jimmy Key was probably like, "What the hell?" Like, <laughs> um, but the, my my moments that. You know, they're still big moments, but they're not like, you know, the highlights of the World Series, I feel like that everyone always talks about is is the Layrits home run, the rally in 96. Um, for me, you, you mentioned it. It's Pettit getting out of that jam, the bare hand throw to third in one motion, just like the confidence that took from a guy that had just been rocked in his first World Series start. And was knocked around in his first postseason start overall. He was hit pretty hard in, in the ALDS. Again, two home runs by Juan Gonzalez. So it's not like he had the resume to you know tell himself like I'm going to be all right to take this chance. Then of course he gets out of the out of the rally in the next at bat. And then I think the biggest moment in terms of importance, maybe aside from the Laird's home run, is O'Neill's catch to end that game because if. If he doesn't make that catch and the, and the Braves tie the game, let's say they go on to win and all of a sudden they're up 3-2 and the Yankees have to win two in the Bronx, which they struggled to win uh, when they first played those games in New York. You know, obviously, they, they went on to win game six, but it could have it went a lot differently. And the fact that O'Neill was doing that on a bad hamstring makes it even crazier. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Uh, that team just had so many guys that were just like selfless, maybe not self, but it just did heroic stuff. Like, I mean, like you said, on a bad leg, O'Neill makes that catch. You got Pettit, you know, staring down one of the best postseason pitchers of all time and defeating him. You have David Cohn coming back from an aneurysm down 2-0 in Atlanta and putting together one of the gutsiest performances that we've ever seen. And it's just absolutely incredible. And actually one more thing that I, I realized when watching this video last night, apparently Cecil Fielder in game five said, I feel good today. Just get me somebody in scoring position. And he gets the big double down the line. And if you watch the video, I always say that's the hardest the human has ever run. He was going <laughs> still pretty slow, but uh, yeah, that was it. And then they go back and they win in on that Saturday night um in yankee stadium and i remember that watching that game very well and uh the rest as they say is, is history but um you know we spoke to Layritz about his home run a couple episodes back so i don't think we need to get too in depth in that but i mean that is the turning point in the the franchise to create a dynasty because if that home run doesn't happen we probably don't get what happens for the next 10 years yeah, you you mentioned Wade Boggs as maybe the most um, um, uh, overlooked at bat. I would still, even though it is the most talked about, I would still say the Layers one is mine. If I had to pick oh, yeah. a top at bat of the of that season, just because not just because of the moment, but who he was going up against at the time. Mark Wallers was one of the more dominant bullpen arms in baseball, and Layers kind of changed that forever <laughs> with uh, with one swing. But yeah, I'd say that I'd say that was a uh, the top at bat of the season. So, all right. So I think we both say that was the biggest at bat, but what would you say the biggest pitch was like from the Yankees getting out of a jam or, or whatever? Cause there's a couple ways you could go here. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I love the I love the double play for Pettit after uh, the. Yeah, it was against Chipper. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. But then you have the O'Neill catch, like you mentioned. You have Wetland's last pitch. Yeah. Against Lemke. I mean, you know, the Yankees were so close to losing it all. And one that gets overlooked, even though he walks in a run that inning, um, Cohn getting out of that bases loaded jam. I mean, they would go down 3-0 if, you know, you get a little gapper there. Yeah. So There's, there, there are a lot of crucial at-bats where if I was probably watching that live now at this age, I probably would have some type of, of heart attack. Oh, yeah. that I'm glad I was so young in that postseason because <laughs> if it happened now, I'd probably be hashtag dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that was nuts. So um, they win the World Series, and, and it's just incredible. But you know, we talked a lot of, like, there was a lot of crazy comebacks, performances. We barely even spoke about Dwight Gooden, who comes back, uh, Daryl Strawberry. Um, what would you be, what, what is, who is your, what's your favorite, like, hero ball story from that season? Oh, Cone, no doubt. I mean, he, he came back from a career-threatening injury and pitched in the biggest game of the season. And the and um, I was about to say the Yankees' biggest game in decades, but I mean, not, Game Five ninety five was was just the year before that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he say he saved the season. He potentially saved the dynasty. Just you know, not long after he had come back from an injury that, like I said, threatened his career. So I, I would say Cone. I'll, I agree with you. Pettit's a close second, but I think that when you're a free agent or, you know, in this case had re-signed or came over in a trade, and there's pressure on you to do what you were brought here to do. And then you add in the aneurysm and, and everything like that. And it just becomes an incredible story. And we've talk, spoken to David Cohn in a previous episode, so you can, you can hear more about that. Um, I think we replayed them all on New Year's Day, so you could hear, mm-hmm. hear us talk to David Cohn back uh, on that episode too. Um, and who's your MV, not just for the postseason, but your MVP, uh, overall. So we talked about this before we recorded. I think you're, I think I know who you're going to say, but I'm, mine would be Mo. Um, because he was such a huge bullpen piece going two innings at a time. Uh, like we said, I think he was third in on the team in war. And then again, two and two third hitless innings in in game three, very similar to the three scoreless innings he would pitch in game seven of 2003. Maybe the stakes weren't as high, but still the Yankees were in danger of going down 2-0 and hitting the road after that. So that was huge. He came up huge time after time in the World Series as well, gets the the big strikeout in the eighth inning of game six of the World Series. So I I would go with, with Mo. I still think 96, his first full season in the bullpen as he goes on to be the greatest closer of all time I, I still think that that was probably his most valuable season well yeah because he was pitching more innings yeah. than than he was and i mean you have the the game against the a's where he like comes in in the seventh and strikes out uh uh mcguire and then he strikes him out again to end the game it's it's pretty incredible um mo was my second choice but just because the team struggled on all not struggled but didn't have a lot of power they didn't have a huge catalyst but i I would say bernie williams just switch hitting center fielder who puts up you know the highest ops plus on the team by about what eight percentage points i i'd go with bernie i think bernie is the most underappreciated yankee from this era um and the things he did in the postseason were incredible. I mean, think about all the big hits he had in each series, the division series, the championship series, and then the world series. I mean, in game in game three, he he is the offense. He has the single to get them going. He hits the home run to blow it open late. Game, you know, game uh, six, he has the, the kind of final nail in, in the coffin for the Yanks, and it winds up being the game-winning RBI if you go by, like, the way NHL does game-winning goals and stuff like that. And, um, you know, Bernie did it all season for a team that had inconsistency. To, to get that kind of performance from a switch-hitting center fielder who bats fourth, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, I guess that's the 96 season that's that's it that's easily one of the great one of the great memories of my life is watching that first game 
ever with dad in, in 96 and then watching them win it all uh, about two weeks after that. And um, from then on, I mean, we were all in like, yeah. that was the, we had it hook, line and sinker. And yeah, I guess that's about it. So you had chosen 96. Do you yep. have anything else to say about it? Or were, I think we kind of covered it in great detail. No, oh, yeah, that's it. That's this is what we're going to do to try to pass the time while there's no baseball is talk about baseball that already happened. So sure. since you chose first, I, I guess I get to choose. Now, if dad was doing it, I would get to choose the next two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember that rule? Yep. Um, but I think we'll just go one for one here. All right. Uh, so I'll choose another season. I'm not sure what I want to choose yet, but let's – I think I'm going to mix it up so we don't stick in one era for too long. We could keep coming back to different eras. Yeah. So like I'll – I'll take because I was rewatching Game Four against the Astros yesterday. I'll take 2017. All right. Well, that's what we're talking about next. Won't have to go too far into the memory bank, so we will talk about that next week. First, what are you looking forward to the rest of this week as we're quarantined with no sports? Uh, I'm. I don't know if we should even continue this, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to getting the show today. According to FedEx, it'll be here by 8 p.m. I don't like to order things on like digitally, like for games. I don't know why. Maybe I don't know. I'll probably wind up getting Rise of Skywalker digital, but um, I, I'm. I didn't get the show digital. It's getting delivered today, so I'm going to set it up. I'm going to. I'm going to get some advice from you on how to set up my Diamond Dynasty, and then I'll, I'll play online and hopefully beat you. Yeah, that sounds good. Looking looking forward to it. I guess I'm uh the hell am I looking forward to? Oh, the the new se- the final season of Brockmire just premiered last night. I'm looking forward to watching that. For those who don't know, it's Hank Azaria playing that uh um drunk play-by-play announcer who is trying to get back into baseball after he had a meltdown on the air and he's just hilarious. It's a really good show. Uh he was a guest on Effectively Wild last episode and just talked about like the state of baseball and he's just a guy that loves baseball and he's a really funny actor i actually just watched a much younger hank azaria last night when when i sat down and watched heat did not know he was in that but that was also a good movie so i'm looking forward to watching brockmeyer nice i'll have to check that out yeah it's funny cool Um, all right well thanks everyone for listening uh hopefully some of these series recaps and looking back on some great yankee years will help us get through this time however long it's going to be um if there is any new news to report in the coming week we will certainly share that but for now stay safe keep your distance please don't stay inside those idiot spring breakers and we'll uh we'll talk to everybody next week yeah, everybody stay inside and watch some highlights from 2017 to get to get repumped up. You might forget Michael Pineda was on the team early in the year and had like a 13 strikeout game or something. So go watch that and then uh, we'll come back and talk about that season next week. All right. See you later, everybody.